Church, how are you feeling? I got to let you know, in first service, we had eight children get dedicated. Isn't that an amazing thing? Wow. So if you want to dedicate your child, it's, it's an amazing uh, privilege to be able to dedicate a child to the Lord. Um, I ask you to sign up with our 3D ministry. They'll get you uh, signed up and ready to go. I had such a good time dedicating those kids. It was, it was such a privilege. If you're ready for God's word, I want to share with you that we have, we have um, almost completed the project upstairs. We have over about 1,200 square feet of production space. We have a little studio where we're going to be filming. We have, um, we want to start doing all kinds of uh, little video teaching, inspiration. Uh, but we also have a production room to capture what happens in this auditorium so that we can, uh, we can send it wherever God would give us an open door. Right now, we have people listening all over. And uh, how many of us know that as some, some venues or some places, some churches are watering down the message? But as we just preach God's word, and you just preach God's word, I'm noticing that there's a hunger for God's word. There is. I mean, how many of us feel like God's word is just refreshing to your soul? It's like, man, it, it uplifts you. It gives you courage. And uh, I, I, I'm, we're finding that. And so thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your offering. Thank you for your faithfulness. Um, every year we do a grateful heart offering. We're going to start putting these out. Some people like to give their gift before the end of the year. Others will give it throughout the year, and uh, we, we collect a grateful heart offering based on, on whatever you feel led to give. We never ask you to, to give or to pledge and say, I promise. It's just, Lord, this is what you've put on my heart, and in good faith, I want to I wanna step forward and give. And so we, uh, we want to do something. Did, did Cody give you the, the slides? No? Nope. Well, no big deal. We want to do something for our 3D ministry. This last year, the offering went to production. This year, it's going to be for 3D. 3D is our children's ministry. So we want to have, we want to, we want to decorate the hallways, the, uh, the classrooms, and the outdoor play area. We want to do a complete revamp of the outdoor play area and make it something really special because I want our children to desire to come here. Now, how big and beautiful it gets will depend on you, right? How, and, and how quickly we get to it. You know, you, you don't get to, and, and I don't get to dictate the vision. We receive that from God, but we can sure speed it along, right? And as God gives us the vision, then we get an opportunity to see it come to pass as we give. So I'm gonna ask you to give with all your heart. Uh, later, I'll share a testimony on how God has used Pastor Melissa and I and grown our faith in the, uh, in the act of giving. Now, we've reached the end of our sermon series on David. Guys, the end of our sermon, our sermon series on David. How many of us are disappointed? Yeah, David has been amazing. Hasn't he, has, he, has he captured your heart? 
David has a way of just bringing you in. And his story is just so real. It's so relatable. And you can see yourself in David. How many of you have seen yourselves in David? You know, just, just an ordinary person trying to love the Lord with all his heart. And, and God just, just having such a fondness for him. You can tell he had a special place in God's heart. How many of us also related to some of the things that David did wrong? And, and you're like, you just look at David's life, you're like, David, what are you thinking? And I've done that to myself. I'm going, Chris, what are you thinking? You know, you can do better than this. And so um, it's taken us 15 weeks to get here. We thought we'd get here in, in six or seven and it, it ended up being double, but it's been good. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 1. 1 Kings chapter 1. We've seen David go through his ups and downs. And last we saw, uh, we talked about David. And uh, as you're finding your place in your Bibles, how many of you enjoyed Pastor Jamie's message? Woo! Woo! Yes! I love pa Pastor Jamie. You know, the other day... Uh, Judge McDonald and I, that's, uh, my, my best friend is, is Ronnie McDonald. He, um, he and I were talking over how we weren't even pastors. I wasn't a pastor yet. We were just young men wanting to, to love the Lord. And so we started trying to, trying to teach others. And we'd get together at Anita's downtown. And Brother Jamie, uh, I don't even know if he was married yet. Maybe he had just gotten married and he was part of our group. And then later when we started the church, he became part of our church. And I've seen him grow in the Lord, and I've seen him uh, just become an amazing man of God, father, and husband. And, and just tell him, tell him how proud of, of you, you uh, how proud of him you are. So when you see him, hug his neck, let him know you love him. Now, are you ready? Um, this, the Bible story, we saw David's son, uh, Absalom, turn against him. David has to flee from Jerusalem barefooted and completely humiliated. Completely humiliated. Now, the Lord was faithful to David and reestablished him. David's armed forces were able to defeat his own son, who had staged a coup d'etat against him, against his own father, and had displaced him. Right? Had displaced him. God, through his faithfulness, brings David back and David's armed forces are able to defeat Absalom and his forces. Specifically, Absalom is killed as he is caught unexpectedly in a tree branch as he's riding. And, and he's hanging there. And this is how he was killed. Being completely vulnerable there, he was gunned down, so to speak. Now, we pick up the story with another of David's sons who oversteps his authority, and, and you, you're left thinking, what is, wrong with the, what, are, what is wrong with these kids? They're out of control. But the Bible tells you what's wrong with them. Read, read with me. Now, Adonijah, whose mother was Haggith, put himself forward and said, I will be king. Come on, how many of you know that's not for you to decide? Be careful whenever something inside of you says, I will, or I want, or I, instead of letting God lead it. Who decides the king of Israel? God does. God does. And here, this young man decides, I'm going to be king. So he, so he got some chariots and some horses ready, 
and with 50 men to run ahead of him, he started proclaiming himself king. Doesn't this sound familiar? Do you remember the 50 men and the men that, that were being gathered by, uh, by Absalom when he, be, when he decided he was going to run for the kingdom or, 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 or basically name himself king and displace his father? He go, well, what's going on with David? Well, let me tell you what's going on with David. The tide has changed and David finds himself now at the end of his life on his deathbed and this once vibrant, strong champion of God who once burned, burned hot with passion is now struggling to just keep warm. He's in his deathbed, he's, he's shivering from cold and so they get a young virgin, a beautiful young virgin to come and just hug him. The Bible makes it clear that there's nothing uh, sexual going on. And I, and I find that interesting because when he was once warm-blooded and, 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 and extremely passionate about a woman, which actually caused him to fall into sin, now how the tables have turned. Now he doesn't even care about that. All he cares about is keeping warm. So his son decides, this is a perfect time to assert myself and to name myself king. Now watch verse six. His father had never rebuked him by asking, why do you behave as you do? Come on dads, how many of you know parents, our role as parents is very important. And if you don't call your son to it, if you don't say, hey, behave, that's not acceptable. Why are you acting that way? Stop being that way. I want you to consider what you're doing. Then you're going to leave a mess for others to sort out. Do you hear me? Here, he had never been rebuked by his dad. He was also very handsome. Don't, haven't we heard that before? David had some good-looking kids. And some of us, if we're, not, if we're not careful, we'll focus more on the external in this very, very vain-driven society. It's easy to focus on looking good, walking good, acting a certain way in order to get attention. But how many of us know it's got to be more than just what's on the skin. It's got to go deep. There's got to be some character, some value. I'll never forget how much my mama, she, she would push character on me all the time. What do you mean push it on you? She would make sure that I never missed an opportunity to develop character. Oh man, it would make for life being miserable sometimes. But in the end, it paid off in dividends because I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing today without her influence in my life. I would have gone off the tracks. I would have gone off the rails and ended up off a cliff. But I can remember one point there was a bully at school and he was trying to bully me and I was determined I was going to let him have it. And I had planned how me and my brothers were going to jump him. That's what you do when you're Mexican. <laughs> I'm just kidding, but not so much. <laughs> That's so wrong. You're going to have to strike that, Christian, from the, from, the, from the recording. 
but we were going to jump him. And we were all ready and said, okay, this is what you do. The the bell rings, you show up here, and we're going to teach him a lesson, never to bully me again. Mama heard, she goes, stop right there. You'll do no such thing. In fact, what is this young man's name? So I told her his name, um, and she said, what's his problem? He keeps taking my lunch. Well, tomorrow, this is what you're going to do. You're going to earn some, learn some character. And you're going to go up to this young man and you're going to say, you don't have to take my lunch anymore. I'm going to pack you your own. And I want to know how you want your sandwich and what kind of snack you would like. I won't tell you how it ended. But that's my mama. I can remember at Baylor University how everyone was riding around in a brand new car and they would, they would oftentimes not care for that car very often, but me, I had to pay for my old little hoopty that was passed down from my aunt to my next aunt to my uncle who then finally gave it to me. 16 years old, this little Toyota Tercel was barely hanging on. We had to wire strap the bumper to it the front windshield wouldn't, I mean, the front passenger side window wouldn't come down right, so it was like this, and it got the front seat wet, and it rotted out the floorboard, and so I removed the front seat, and when Pastor Melissa and I would go out on a date, she sat in the back seat. <laughs> but the car was so small, it would still hold her hand. And my mama used to, I used to whine and say, I can't believe y'all made me pay for this piece of junk. She said, that piece of junk is yours. Take pride in it. Have some character and understand that no one can make you feel less than unless you allow them. Know who you are, son, and walk onto that campus with some pride and some. Next thing you know, all my friends want to ride in my car. I'm like, what is going on here? You got a brand new Yukon and you're climbing in the hoopty. We've never seen one of these. We've seen ours, but we've never seen one like yours. They, they, they affectionately nicknamed it White Lightning. Because we used to have to pop the clutch to get it started. And so we'd open the doors and we'd get on the back and the, and the side doors and the front door and we'd push it, push it, push it. And I'd look when it hit about six miles per hour, I'd jump in and they'd keep pushing. I'd pop the clutch and that thing would rev up and everybody would climb in. They're like, ah! you thought Baylor just won a national championship or something. We're screaming and having a great time. And my mama said, it'll build character. You know, come on, parents. We need more of that. We need more of that. We'll talk about some more stories about mama, but here, David never rebuked him, and it was all about the external for him. Just like Absalom, he was very handsome and was born next after Absalom. So Adonijah conferred with Joab. Who is Joab? Joab is the is David's nephew who is in charge of the armed forces. He's the general that's in charge of the whole thing. So this young man goes to the general and starts soliciting his support. He also goes to Abiathar, who's the priest. 
And they both gave him their support. But Zadok the priest, Benaiah, who is Benaiah? Benaiah and Joab are kind of like counterparts. Joab is the head of the armed forces. Benaiah is the head of the secret service. That means it's David's personal guard that guards him and his palace, his family. So he's, a, he's in charge of, of David's personal protection in the family, the palace. Okay? So you have Zadok, Benaiah, and Nathan, the prophet, who do not support this young man. This young man names himself king. They're having a celebration. They think they've got the ball rolling when a young man comes into the, in, bursting in the doors and they say, you must have good news. And he says, no, I don't have good news. In fact, Solomon has been named king by your father. Now this is interesting because David is on his deathbed, but this champion, this champion that defeated Goliath, when it was time, he girded himself up and off of his deathbed, he stood up and he named his son king. He took care of what needed to be taken care of by the, by the uh, encouragement of the prophet Nathan to his wife and then to him. And I'm here to tell you that even if you find yourself tired, even if you find yourself broke, busted, disgusted, and at the end of your life, you can still rise up and do championship things. You can still say, I am a champion for the Lord, and I will do what's right. Now here he's, been, he's done some things that have been questionable. He's, he's seen his son turn against him. He's committed murder. He's done all of these crazy things, but yet... When he needed to rise up, I love this about David. He said, I'm not going to let my last act be one that, that, that goes down in history as me just laying here in my bed while my family is completely falling apart. I may be old and I may be tired, but I'm going to... I'm going to gird myself up with some strength and I'm going to do what I have to do. So he named Solomon as king. When, when this little group that was, that was, that was uh, surrounding Adonijah, the rogue king, heard this, the Bible says they dispersed. Come on, how many of you have ever been in a room? Now, I can remember going on vacation once. We got there really late. We were looking for a place. And my dad said, this looks like a good place. It was, in, uh, it was on the coast. I won't say where. On the coast. And uh, we were kids and we were excited because we'd gotten there late. We want to get to bed so that we can enjoy the beach the very next day. We walk in, turn on the lights, and... We saw all these little critters scurrying. And my mama goes, oh no. I said, what about character, mama? No, she said, character means you clean your place. Ooh. So I said, okay. We didn't stay there, but that's exactly what happened. David rising up under the authority of Almighty God and naming his son Solomon as king was like flipping on the light switch and all the little roaches took off running. 
Adonijah finds out, oh no, my brother is king. He's sitting on the throne. The people have thrown their support behind him. I'm in trouble. I'm in serious trouble. So what happens? He throws himself at his brother's mercy. And his brother says, as long as I know your heart is right, you can go to your home and not a hair on your head will be harmed. So he goes to his home, everything's right. But David gives Solomon a charge. And you'll see that charge in second, I mean in 1 Kings chapter 2. When the time drew near for David to die, now he's dying, he gave a charge to Solomon his son. I'm about to, I'm about to go the way of the earth. That means all the earth. Everyone dies, he said. So be strong. Act like a man. Can I get an amen? Come, let me read that again. So be strong and act like a man. We can preach an entire message on that, my friends. You know, it's interesting because today there is an attack on masculinity. They call it toxic. It's not toxic to be a man. God has called you to be a man, be a good one. Be a just one. Be a righteous one. Walk uprightly before your king. Amen. Be who God's called you to be. And it's interesting because now we have a real problem. Men don't know how to be men anymore. We have effeminate men that shake it more than the... I, I don't have time for this. Let's keep going. We have men that abuse and do wrong by trying to prove their masculinity in ways that Jesus would never approve of. So he says, be a man. Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live and if they walk faithfully before me with all of their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of Israel. Watch what comes next. Now you, now you, Yourself know what Joab, the son of Zeruiah, did to me. Now here he gives some advice to his son about Joab, his commander. The commander of all the armed forces. Watch what he says. He killed Abner. He killed Amasa. He did it in cold blood. He shed their blood in peacetime as if he were in battle. And with their blood, he stained the belt around his waist and the sandals and his feet as it spilled. Why? We'll talk about that in just a second. Deal with him according to your wisdom, but do not let his gray head go down to the grave in peace. What is he saying? Come on. Come on. Y'all like to read the Bible in, in a, a G rating but you live in an R-rated world. 
What, what, what is he saying here? Kill him. Now, why is David saying this? Because this man is evil. And I'll tell you why. Um, number one, he killed Abner in cold blood and defied his king's orders. Who was Abner? Abner was a man who served under King Saul. David knew Joab had some character challenges, so he named Abner to be commander over the armed forces. Joab was upset at Abner because Abner had killed his younger brother in battle, but vowed revenge. And even though his king had told him, you need to let it go, it was in battle, he acted friendly towards Abner. And when Abner didn't see it coming, he put his arm around him, come on now, and stabbed him. Amasa happened the same way. David had named him to a position. Joab didn't agree with it. He goes to give him a kiss. With one hand, he's hugging him. With the other hand, he's killing him. When David had said, I want my son Absalom, even though he's a traitor to be spared, Joab said, I know best. Kill him. Kill him. You go, whoa, this guy Joab was out of control. Why didn't David deal with him? Parents, listen to me. Maybe it's because, and you see this a lot in David's life, he struggled with decisions that he had made surrounding that Bathsheba and adultery and, and, and that horrible time in his life, and they stuck with him. Why? Because he could never forgive himself and let go of the pain and the, the, the shame and the guilt. The shame and the guilt. If you allow the enemy to torture you with guilt and shame, he will. But but here we speak the word of God and today I want to shout, I want to wash you with the word of God. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. He is faithful and true and just to forgive if only you ask. He separates it like the east is from the west. He washes it and plunges it in the deepest sea. He washes it under the cleansing flood of his son's blood. And you are free, you are clean, and he sees you in the righteousness of Christ. Now it's time to see yourself that way. You say, what does this have to do with Joab? Do you remember when David wanted Uriah, Bathsheba's husband, killed to cover his sin? Who did he give the order to kill him? He gave it to Joab. Joab's the only one that read that letter saying, put him in the front lines, withdraw from him, make sure he's dead, and then let me know when he's done. Why would he give it to Joab? Because he knew he would do it. And now they live this lie together. But he says, I don't want you living it, Solomon. You kill him. Oh, wow. So what does Solomon do? What does Solomon do? I'll tell you what Solomon does. He sends Benaiah. He sends David's trusted, personal um, bodyguard general. The general over the, 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 the bodyguard of the king. And he says Benaiah to kill him. Now, when I first read this as a kid, I always, under, I said, okay, uh, Joab is a mighty man. 
He's listed in all the great things he did. He was mighty in battle. And Benaiah was listed there as a top special forces commander. Who's going to win? It's going to be a battle to the end. You know what's so interesting? There was no battle. Because when integrity meets lack of character, the one that has integrity goes with God, and you know it. You just know when somebody comes in with God. You just know it. And so as soon as the order went out, go kill Joab, and, and I mean, and Joab heard it, that Benaiah was coming, you know what he did? He didn't say, okay, let's do this. You know what he did? He ran. Why? Because Benaiah came with the promise of Almighty God under the authority of Almighty God and his king, Solomon. He says, where's he at? And as he went to look for him, Joab runs to the altar and grabs the mercy horns. He's like, please have mercy on me. And Benaiah goes in there and says, hmm, Solomon, he's holding on to the altar. Drag him out and kill him. And he killed him just like that. Done. Young people, sometimes you need a banana. How awesome if that was your dad. How awesome if that was your uncle. How awesome if that was men in this church of the older generation saying, hey, we're here for you. We're here for you. Can I get an amen? amen? So what happens with Adonijah? Adonijah also gets killed by Solomon. I thought Solomon let him go to his house in peace. Well, he decides to ask for his wife, one of David's concubines, specifically the one that David never slept with in his old age that was keeping him warm. When Solomon hears this, he says, your heart is evil. But why would you think his heart would be evil? See, in those days, the royal harem was very important. And taking possession of the royal harem and the king's concubines was a declaration of one's right to the throne. And so in his own way, he was starting to lay the groundwork that he was still the proper heir to the throne because he was older than Solomon. When Solomon heard this, he sent Benaiah to kill him too. Got done with him. And you say, wow, pastor, there's a lot of killing. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of, but sometimes you've got to get things right. You got to get things right and you got to straighten things out. And today I get the sense that you younger generation have an amazing opportunity I truly believe this younger generation will see the return of our King, Jesus Christ. I need you to understand something. When I first preached, when I first began to preach the gospel, there wasn't a lot of talk about Jesus' return. And now everywhere you look on, on, on YouTube, on TikTok, on Instagram, you see people talking about Jesus Christ returning. You see the culmination in our, in our history, I mean, a, a culmination of some scientific advancements like never before in human history. 
the culmination of genetic technology, the culmination of digital integration with humans, neural links and AI and blockchain technology and all of these things that are setting the stage for what Jesus gave to John the Revelator in the book of Revelation. And, and Christ is coming back and your generation has to get some things straight and ready for the return of your king. Don't get scared. Don't get intimidated. Get excited and say, we get to be the privileged generation. Why do you think the enemy is so, so dead set on destroying your generation? Oh, with drugs, with gender confusion, with the denial of the existence of God. I mean, you just name it. He's just coming after you with everything. And so I want to talk to the Gen Z generation. We're going to turn on a dime. And just like David rose up, even when he was weak, and did the right thing, it's time for us to rise up and champion the next generation. That's what I'm calling this message. Champion the next generation. David got up from his deathbed as a champion, and he named his son Solomon, who God had called him to name. Helped him clean up some mess and set him up for success. Amen? And so today I want you to know that, that we're called to champion the next generation. The word champion means you can be a champion, meaning what? Having victory, or you can stand for, believe in, and fight for. That makes sense? I champion your cause. I want you to, to, to believe in, stand for, and fight for the next generation. You see how important this is. Watch. Generation Z is born between 95 and 15. 2015. That makes them 7 to 27 years of age. What else does that tell us about them? You with me? What else do we know about Gen Z? Let me find my notes here. All right. Gen Z is not only between those ages, but they they make up about 74 million in America today. That's actually small compared to the rest of the world. In the rest of the world, they're one in four. One in four are between these ages in the rest of the world. You wanna hear something really, really alarming? Watch this. Two out of three are leaving the church within this age range. Let me say that again. Two out of three are leaving the church and Christianity. Some say forever. So watch this. If you're between these, this age range, would you raise your hand? Raise your hand if you're within. Now, I want the rest of us, look around. Please, raise your hand high. We don't want you to leave. We love you. We believe in you. I want to champion you. I want to fight with you and for you. I want to tell you, you are special in the eyes of God. And God wants to do something amazing. Don't let the enemy have his way. 
Stand and watch God move in your behalf. Amen? Not only that, but I need you to understand this. That two out of three in this generation are more likely to identify as atheists. As atheists. What's going on? What's going on? I'll tell you what's going on. We need to champion the next generation. Come on. How many of us have ever been tempted to look at what's happening in our world and to get discouraged? To go, oh man, we've done blown it. Oh, our country's going going nowhere fast. This next generation, oh man, they're horrible. They're this, they're that. Come on, if you're in the younger generation, how many times do you feel, if you've ever felt in the last year, like the older generation just really, really doesn't appreciate you and is constantly criticizing you, would you just raise your hand if that's you? Because it's easy to go, oh man, y'all don't know anything. You don't understand. When I was your age, I had to walk to school. And I had to go uphill both ways in the snow. 20 miles, that's right. And then my, and then my son goes, dad, you grew up in San Antonio. There is no snow. Well, it felt like it, right? And then... And so we, we have to champion them. How do we champion them? We pray for them. Number one, pray for the next generation. I want you to know that every single week, I'm praying for you, next generation. Generation Z, I'm praying for you. I'm believing for you. I'm saying, Lord, go before them, behind them, guard them, inspire them, protect them. Bless them, God. Bless them, Lord. Prepare them for your return. Let them do mighty things for you, God. And so I pray that you receive that from a true heart. I want you to know that this church loves you. In fact, the first building we built was for the next generation. In fact, our, our, our best workers serve the next generation. I, don't want, I want you to know we have 84 workers back in 3D and we love every one of you and we're believing for you. Our very best workers work in Rush too. Do you realize that we have elders working in Rush? We have Pastor Jamie working in Rush. We have Elder uh, Jason Siegel working in Rush. We have our very best investing in your kids and so I want you to help us as we help you. Amen. This is what we're doing, we're praying. We're praying what? We're praying the fear of the Lord. How many of you know it's not okay just to pray right before lunchtime? Some of us say, oh, I pray for my kids every day. When do you pray? Uh, I say a quick little prayer before I eat. Do you realize right before you're about to scarf down that hamburger is not the time to pray for your kids? It's not. You're not thinking about really blessing them. You know when you pray for your kids? When you set a specific Time set aside to just focus on them and to focus on prayer and do dedicated weightlifting and, and battle in the spiritual for the next generation. I'll never forget this. My uncle one time decided to pray at family dinner and he went into this long prayer during Thanksgiving right before we, we went to the meal. And my dad just said, amen, started serving himself. He says, I'm not finished. He said, you're done. Because long prayers are not before a meal. You want to impress somebody? Don't do it here. 
get in your closet with the Lord by yourself, dedicated time. He taught me something there. Uh-oh, come on, am I, am I getting through? Am I getting through? Dedicate that they would fear the Lord. What does it mean to fear the Lord? It means you would rather disappoint anyone but God. I don't care about my peers. You can do whatever you want. You can call me whatever you want, but I will not disappoint the king of glory who's watching me. If he splits the sky wide open, I don't want him catching me with you doing this crazy thing. I value the king and it'll, it'll stay with you your whole life. And we just got away for a few days and while we were away, we were enjoying family dinner at Olive Garden. And it's so interesting because they put us in our own little room. And we always have family dinner and we thought, wow, how fitting, family dinner. And I had some things on my mind and Pastor Melissa um, got on my nerves. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I responded in a very, very unbecoming way. And I was rude and mean to her. And it made everybody feel uncomfortable and I'll never forget the Lord said, she's my daughter. You watch how you speak to her. I gave her to you. She's a privilege. Treat her that way. Oh, yes, Lord. But now it means I got to apologize. And I got to do it in front of everybody because I, I offended her in front of everybody. But when you fear the Lord, now I'm not saying this to impress you. I'm saying it to impress upon you. When you fear the Lord, he'll, he'll correct you. And you'll have ears to hear what he says and you can stay on path and and, and I'll never forget, because it was hard. And I go, oh, I'm sorry. And she goes, I can't hear you. <laughs> so I said, hey, guys, um, son-in-law, son, father-in-law, mother-in-law. Man, the whole family was there. I shouldn't have spoken to my wife that way. I'm sorry. Again, not to impress you, but to impress upon you, I'm just like you. But we need to pray to fear the Lord, that our children would fear the Lord. Listen to what David says. Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you how to fear the Lord. You pray for blessing and favor. Oh, man, pray that God would bless your children, that they would have success. Amen. How many of you know that God answers your prayers, parents? You have authority. We need to pray, God, go before them, go behind them, hover near them, Lord. Come make yourself at home in our home. Lord, you're the most, you're the most honored guest in this home. Lord, that my children would always feel you near, that they would never feel a time where you're not near them. Even though they may not see you, they may always sense you, God. Give them your favor and your blessing. Give them favor with teachers, with coaches, with employers, with their business, with everything they do. Amen? Amen. Come on, church. Listen to what David says. Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. Oh, God, as you take care of my family, God, I know it's you. I know it's you. Pray for godly influence. This is so important. Get involved in your children's lives. Get involved. I'm going to get involved in your life next gen. I'm going to say, hey, you're better than that. You can do better. If I see you dating a knucklehead, I'm going to tell you. They're a knucklehead. They don't serve the Lord. They don't show up to church. 
My daughter tried to like one guy that wouldn't come to church. I said, drop him like a bad habit. Have nothing else to do with him. Well, you can't be so judgmental. I use God's word. If you don't love the Lord and his house, then he ain't going to love you either. Come on, come on, come on. Do you hear what I'm saying? Some of you are going, oh man, I might get dropped and get with the program. (laughs) Amen. Get with the program. You say, oh man, this pastor all, man, he's just meddling today. No, no, that's what we do. God's word gets involved in your life. This idea of I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm going to invite God in just on Sunday. That doesn't work. You need to pray for godly influence. Pray that your, your children's friends would be good friends and that your, that your child would be a good friend to them. Listen, Value friendships, but be a good friend. Lift them up. Don't secretly want them to be lower than you. Your friends, you should always want better for them than even yourself. That's the godly way. When you see them excel, celebrate them. When they can do better, encourage them. Amen? Here we go. Iron sharpens iron as one person sharpens another person. We make each other better. Prioritize God. So pray, and we had three points under pray. Now prioritize God. How do we prioritize God? You prioritize his word. Teach your children his word. Read his word. Revere this word. Understand this word is supernatural. It will change. It will change your life. It will change your attitude. It will change your perspective. It will strengthen you and bless you in ways you could never imagine. This is why Paul says, now to him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond whatever I could hope for, imagine, or dream through his word. See, David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. It's interesting because these days, Kids are having all sorts of conflicts and, um, um, oh, I'm losing the word. They're having crisis of faith. And they, they say, well, well, I heard this and I heard that and God isn't this and the Bible, and I say, show me. Show me in God's word. And some of you have had these conversations with me. We're having a crisis of faith and immediately I come to you and I say, show me. No, not, I'm not challenging you, but you should challenge yourself. Yourself, Show me. Where did you hear that? On Facebook. <laughs> on the History Channel. My friend. No, that's not what God's word says. Let's get in here. Let's, come on, parents. Come on, parents. Do you hear me? Worship. You prioritize God when you worship. Your kids are learning from you, parents. Worship. Why am I going to the dad so much more than the moms? Why? Let me give you another statistic. If a, if a mom comes to know the Lord, she will influence her family at about an 18% rate. 18% chance that the rest of the family comes to know the Lord after she does. If a child comes to know the Lord, that rate goes up to 22%. If a dad comes to know the Lord and he's serious about his faith, it goes up to 94%. Come on, dads. You start reading your word with your child. You start worshiping. 
The other day, someone told me that Maverick, how many of you know little Maverick? He's the cutest little kid who sits right up here during third service for worship. And my mother-in-law said, you better be careful because Maverick is watching everything you do. If you raise your hands, he raises his hands. If you clap, he cl if you say praise God, he says praise God. Next gen, they're watching us. They're watching us, amen? Make sure you, you prioritize worship. Watch what the Bible says about worship. It says he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath, on the Lord's day, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. Who is this? This is Jesus, as was his custom. Make it something that we're habitual about. This is why the book of Hebrews says this, hold on, or let us hold unwavering to the hope we profess. For, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. Don't quit. Don't stop. You got to keep meeting together. Sunday service is important. Do you know that? Sunday service is important. Someone said to me the other day, I don't have to be a Christian. I, I mean, I don't have to go to church on Sunday to be a Christian. Show me. You got that belief? Show me. You know what I can show you? I can show you verses like this where God said, prioritize what I prioritize. He's coming back for the church, not for you. This individual thing, you got to check it. He's coming back for his bride. He's coming back for the church. He's coming back as a bridegroom for his bride. But I don't like the bride. You don't like my wife. You don't like me. Am I right? No, it's true. That doesn't mean that we don't miss from time to time, but it has to be a habit to come because the next generation needs that. Your children need that. They need it. I can remember it saved my brother's life. He was a young man. He was fighting my mom from going to church on Sunday. I mean, excuse me, on Wednesday. My mom drug him to church. When we came back from church, his best friend, Michael, who was 15, my brother was 14, was lying dead at the end of our sidewalk. He lived across the street. We lived on this side of the street. He died on our side of the street, right where my mom said bye to him and my younger brother Isaac said bye to Michael. He was gunned down, point blank rage. He got shot in the face. My brother might've been there too. But my mom drug him to church. Reminds me of a young man who moves into a neighborhood, elderly neighborhood. He starts helping everywhere. All the people in the neighborhood are so impressed with him. So they elect one of the ladies to go and find out more about him. She goes up and says, We're just, we just love you being here. You're such a good neighbor. She says, I just got to know how you grew up. Your parents must have done an amazing job with you. And he says, well, to be honest with you, I had a drug problem. She said, oh. You did. Yep. Every Sunday morning, my daddy drugged me to church. <laughs> Every Wednesday night, my mama drugged me to church. Every time prayer service was going on, I was 
drugged, see, I had a drug problem. Give your children the right kind of drug problem, amen? And ultimately, when you prioritize God, you prioritize people. Teach them to love people, not stuff. Teach them to love people as Jesus loved people. And if you teach them to love people, you practice discipleship. This is where we end. Practice discipleship. Practice discipleship. Get involved in our discipleship Tuesday night, men, Wednesday night for women. Listen to what the Bible says. This is instruction from Paul to Timothy. Entrust what I have taught you in the presence of many witnesses, entrusted to reliable people who also will be able to give it to other qualified people who will teach others. Let me read it exactly how it's written. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others from one generation to the next to the next. He goes on to say this to him. He says, continue in what you have learned and from whom you have learned it. We gotta teach our next generation if we're gonna champion them. Ultimately, we're talking about Jesus' last commission to us. You got two more minutes in you? You got two more minutes? Listen to what Jesus says. Then Jesus came to them, to his disciples, right before he was being raptured into heaven. And this is what he says. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. All authority. I want every eye on me. Look at me. Not because I'm important, but because what I'm going to emphasize about God's word is important. This book is not ordinary. Younger generation, this book is not ordinary. It is supernatural and it governs the entire universe. It is the word of God. It will It will bless your life. Jesus was not just a good man. He was the son of God. And he is telling you all authority. Heaven, earth, it's mine. Therefore, I convey to you the authority to go make disciples. And your most important disciples are your children, your grandchildren, the next generation. So gird yourself in this word. And approach your assignment with sobriety. And watch what he says. Make them disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father. To baptize someone means you bring them to the point where they no longer rely on your faith. They rely on their faith. When you get baptized, you say, I accept Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. He is my king. He rules and reigns over my life. I give my allegiance to him. He will be my forever God. No matter what happens, you can take my life, but you won't take my faith. That's what you bring your children to so that you can, you baptize them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, daughter, I baptize you. Son, I baptize you. We're starting a new tradition. 
You want to get baptized in this church? You have to have a disciple maker. And if you have a father or a mother, I'd rather them baptize you. I'd rather them baptize you. Just like every father raised their children up today. I used to raise them up. My arms would get tired. I'd go, what am I doing? This is the dad's privilege. Amen? Amen, dads? I want you to baptize your children. I want you to baptize your grandchildren, teaching them to obey everything, and I will be with you. Not me, Jesus. I will be with you. Amen. Next gen. Jesus said, this represents my body that was broken. And so when we partake, we remember that he gave his body to be broken on a cross and his blood to be shed. And so we trust in you, Lord Jesus. We trust in you. I celebrate my baptism, Lord, and I celebrate this communion that signifies that I was buried with you and I've been given new life. All my sins were washed away in the cleansing flood of your blood. Lord, I don't, I don't feel intimidated about the future, and nor do we as a church. We are so excited for the next generation. We are so excited. God, help us. Help us as the older generation champions our future. In Jesus' name. To you be the glory. Lord Jesus, we love you. Amen. Church, I love you.